going to start a new series this morning, and I'm calling it Housekeeping. Don't you just love housekeeping? I know you do. Now, why, why am I speaking of housekeeping? Well, it really piggybacks off of a scriptural analogy where the church in the Bible is called the household of God. Uh, you'll often hear people refer to their church as my church home. And that's a great thing. I want people to come into the church and for them to get that sense of the church. Why? Because home is a place of safety, security. It's a place where you belong. And also, good homes are launching pads. After all, you do not want your child living in your house when they are 50. You want them moving on. But here's the thing. Good homes require thought and effort. Strong homes require good housekeeping. They need housekeeping. And if you don't keep up with the house, well, then the house kind of falls apart, doesn't it? So when you think about the church, I want to submit that there are a couple of just good reminders. These aren't going to be new revelations to you, but these are Good reminders for what makes the church into a place that we are all proud of. At the first is that church develops a culture of servanthood. Just as strong homes need everyone to do their part, strong churches thrive on servanthood. The second is that the church invests in fellowship. Here's the thing about relationships in the home. They can either be life-giving, they can be destructive, or they can be non-existent. How do you get to life-giving? Well, intentionality is the key word. And in the church, intentionality is fellowship. Here's a little hint. Fellowship is more than just backyard barbecues. Third, the church focuses on becoming a launch pad because the church doesn't want 50-year-old <laughs> adults living in the church either. We, we want to move Christians along so that they're serving in the Great Commission. Fourthly, the church values generosity. So Pastor James will be covering this while I'm away on the Turkey Greece tour. And just a little side note, sorry that that is so in such close proximity with my vacation uh, this trip has been stalled like two times now due to COVID. So it's finally come, and we're really excited to go on the trip. So we're going to talk this morning about the idea of serving. Now, my two brothers and I, we would spend our childhood summers going to our grandparents' home in West Virginia. We lived in Chicago. They lived in West Virginia. That home was a very special place, as often grandma and grandpa's home is. My grandparents built it when they moved into West Virginia, and it became like the, the home base for their children and their children's children. Some of my best memories come from summers at my grandparents' house. We would spend time with our cousins. The woods of West Virginia are beautiful, and we would run all through them, catching all manner of creatures. And best of all, Grandma and Grandpa spoiled us rotten, as grandparents should. Now, 
As I think about them and I think about the fact that they did this for us, I just have to say, God bless them. Why they would allow a pack of Tasmanian devils to run throughout the house who were totally oblivious to their destructive ways is beyond me at this point, but they were incredibly kind and generous to do that. One summer, they actually tried to help us along. It was the second summer that we came to their house. They put sticky notes up all over the house. When you came into the front entryway, the sticky note read, please take your shoes off here. You see, you had to use the least amount of syllables, the clearest language for the message to get through. When you went to the fridge, the sign in the fridge said, when you take something out, please shut the door. And there were a lot of little sticky notes in the bathroom. The toilet said, please shut the lid and flush, and the mirror just above the sink in all capitals read, wash your hands. Now, it was a great idea, a great idea, but as with many great ideas, it was totally ineffective. I mean, you're not going to tame a bunch of Tasmanian devils with a few sticky notes. We tried our best. We tried to read the notes, but let's just be honest. About two days in, the notes started bleeding into the background, and we fell back into our barbarism. If you ever struggle with the concept in Scripture talking about the inherent sin nature, all you need to do is look at this function of the home serving. Let's just be honest for a minute. We love children. Children, we love you. But we can be, children can be such selfish little creatures. I mean, do children naturally do their laundry or put away their socks or clean up after themselves? Of course not. You have to drive that into the child. You have to do it on repeat for the child to learn it. That child would be all too happy to sit in front of the television all day long and have you wait on them hand and foot. In fact, there's one surefire way to raise a spoiled brat. Never make them do a chore. That's right. You don't have to do anything. But I'm going to leave the kids alone for a minute and say it's not just the kids. I was reading... Chuck Swindoll's book, Improving Your Swerve, or Your Serve, not Your Swerve. <laughs> and uh, he described this cartoon, the four words, I, me, mine, myself, were stacked upon one another like a monument, as if each letter was carved in granite, and in front of this monument, there were Hundreds, even thousands of people raising up their hands as if worshiping it. And the small caption below the, car the cartoon read, speaking of American cults and surrounding the image like a border were these familiar lines, have it your way. Do yourself a favor. You owe it to yourself you deserve a break today. Older catchphrases, pre-social media, and I suggest that it's only intensified with social media. How did our culture become so preoccupied with self, so selfish, so self-focused? Well, I think King Solomon was right. In fact, I know he was right when he said there was nothing new 
under the sun. It's not like all of the sudden in the 21st century, this selfish gene just evolved and now we're a lot more selfish than other people in days gone by. In fact, if you look at the world where Jesus ministered to, the first century context, if you were to go to an average person and say to that person, how do you achieve the good life? That person would probably have said, you have to get some level of authority to where you can bark out orders and have other people doing things for you. That's why you have like your Herods and Caesars and all these other little pompous bureaucrats trying to achieve some kind of authority so that everyone is serving them. They even religified it. You had your Pharisees, your Sadducees, using religion to accomplish the same goal. But the, the concept of servant? Nowhere to be found. You didn't lower yourself and give of yourself for others. In fact, Jesus' own disciples struggled in this area. Let's look for a moment in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 24. We'll pick up a story. It's maybe a familiar story to you. And see this truth. It says in verse 20, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at these two brothers. Now, here's the deal. James and John, of course, they are trying a power move here. Clearly, that's what they want. And clearly, the other 10 are indignant because they didn't think of the power moves themselves. And clearly, all of these disciples at this point have not been observing the sticky notes that Jesus has been leaving everywhere in his ministry. I mean, imagine walking with Jesus. Imagine him stooping down to the lowly person, sticky note. Imagine him pausing at times to minister as he's walking about. Imagine him celebrating the acts of servanthood in others. Sticky notes everywhere, but for some reason, these sticky notes have faded into the background. The little inner Tasmanian devil of the disciples is still operating still at play. When you think about Jesus, I want you to think of him as your big brother. It's a very scriptural thought. We're told in the Bible that Jesus is the eldest son, the firstborn son, and, and this culture that Jesus lived in, the elder brother had a very significant responsibility. You may recall reading in the Old Testament that the elder brother was sometimes assigned a double portion of the inheritance. Now, that was not designed to be an act of favoritism, though sometimes it did happen that way. 
It was intended for the older brother to have the resources to provide and care for the rest of the family. That was his role. That was his responsibility. Even up until the inheritance, he provided a special leadership function to the family. He would serve the family. He would set the tone for the family. So the younger siblings were supposed to look up to their older brother. And like them, we are supposed to look up to Jesus, to follow his example, to care about his value system. Now listen to his value system as we move forward in Matthew 20. Jesus said this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What we're seeing about our big brother this morning is that servanthood is a defining characteristic of Jesus. A defining, fundamental core to who he is, meaning that you cannot even begin to grasp Jesus without the framework of servanthood. If you look at the Old Testament, in Isaiah, they would refer to the Messiah as the servant of the Lord. Service was why he was coming. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Listen to what J. Oswald Sanders wrote. It's a little longer of a quote, but a very good one. He said, in the incident, incident when Jesus washed his disciples' feet as servant, he said to them, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. No servant is greater than his master. And that's John 13. His attitude is the pattern for the disciple. Only twice in scripture is Christ specifically stated to be our example. Once in connection with service and significantly the other in connection with suffering. That's 1 Peter 2. The supreme revelation of lowly service recorded in John 13 was no new office for our Lord. He was only manifesting in time what he has always been in eternity. On that occasion, he acted out the master principle of service, that the highest honor lies in the lowliest service. He revealed to us that the life of God is spent in the service of humanity, there is no one so perpetually available as he. He rules all because he serves all. Is the weight of that sinking in? The weight of servanthood? It is a defining characteristic of Jesus because it is a defining characteristic of God. It's the very nature of God to be a servant. So if you want to resemble Jesus, if you want to be a Christian or a Christ one, if you want to be like your big brother in any sort of way, then you must resemble him in this way. You must be a servant. 
And if you look at church history, every great Christian has resembled Jesus in this way. Think about the Apostle Paul. Think in your mind of some descriptors of Paul. How would you describe him? I'm saying uh, before this sermon, I would have said courageous, ambitious, the kind of guy that gets things done. I would say tenacious. And those things are probably true of Paul. You read his story and you hear his ambitions and his writing, and clearly he was all of those things, but he never describes himself that way. Now, often he describes himself like he does in Romans 1.1. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. And remarkably, the word translated servant is the Greek word doulos, which is better translated slave. Now, do you want to be thought of as anyone's slave? I, I don't. I don't want to be someone's tool. I don't want someone telling me what I have to do and when I have to do it and having control over my body. But Paul wasn't like that. He was a tool in his master's hand. He was a slave. If Jesus wanted him to go and spread the gospel amongst the Gentiles, Paul said, sign me up, Lord, I'll do it. If Jesus said, Paul, I need you to rot in a prison cell joyfully and suffer for my name's sake, Paul said, Yes, Lord, he was a servant. And I want to suggest that this is what made Paul great, not his many achievements, but his servanthood mentality. Another example that sticks out to me is Dr. Bill Bright. If you're unfamiliar with Dr. Bright, he is the founder and former founder, the founder and the former president of Campus Crusade for Christ, the college ministry that, because of his vision, was instrumental in seeing thousands, even millions of college students, one to Christ, sent into ministry all over the world. And I'm a part of that. I was significantly influenced in college because of this ministry. Now, Dr. Bright passed away during my college time, and I had the pleasure of attending his memorial service. And after hearing all the stories and all the descriptions of Dr. Bright's one thing stood out loud and clear. Dr. Bill Bright, even though he was the president, was a humble servant. One story that stuck out, he was called to go to a team in an international context that was difficult to survey the work, to see what was happening. So he flies out and spends a day with the team, hearing stories of people who've been impacted hearing the team describe what they were doing and how they were going about it. A long intensive day. If you've ever done international travel, you know exactly what he's feeling right now. Well, they go in and they turn in for the night and somewhere around the midnight hour, one of the team members hears soft shuffling in the living room. So they get up and they go to examine and they notice that a light's on in the living room and when they look in, Dr. Bright is lovingly cleaning the team's shoes, polishing the team's shoes. The president of the organization polishing the shoes of the team. Well, the team member says, Dr. Bright, what are you doing right now? You've had a long day. You've, you, you've been all over the place. You don't need to do that. We can wash our own shoes and clean them. And he looked at the team member and he just said, no, 
this is the most important thing I could be doing right now. I am so thankful for all that God is doing in and through you, and I want to be able to serve you in some way. Clearly, he understood Jesus' words in John 13, that if you want to look like the Lord, your Lord and teacher, you have to wash the feet of others. So let's tie this into a housekeeping principle. Now remember, the church is like a home, and strong homes maintain strong housekeeping principles. So here is our housekeeping principle this morning, and it's very simple. Every Christian should be serving. Every Christian should be serving. Every Christian should be serving inside of the church. Every Christian should be serving outside of the church. Why? Well, we've talked about that already. It's fundamental to who Jesus is. And if I want to resemble my big brother, then I must be a servant like he is. Now we come to a hard question. Do Christians resemble Jesus in that way? If you were looking at the North American context, you would think that because of all the sticky notes that are all over the Gospels and because of Jesus' own clear, direct words, that community organizations outside of the church would have Christians beating down their doors to be able to serve the needs of people. You would think that inside of the church, that the leaderships of churches would be maintaining these very careful waiting lists to make sure that people got the opportunity to serve, whether it's in the Sunday school programs or serving in small groups or the various responsibilities around the church. But the facts on the ground is this, it's just not true of the North American church many times. You see, humble service, servanthood, can actually be rare in Christian communities. You hear principles like the 80-20 principle where 20% of people are doing 80% of the work. So the sticky notes are everywhere. But for some reason, they faded into the background. And I think there's four reasons to this, and these four reasons are tied into the fundamental nature of what serving is. The first reason is that serving is costly. Think about it. Serving takes time, it takes energy, and it takes follow through. And I don't know about you, but for me, those things represent cost because I am busy. I'm busy. There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of things where I could be using my time, ways I could be spending it. But here's a newsflash to all of us this morning. Everyone's busy. <laughs> Everyone. I have yet to walk up to a person that's like, you know, Rob, I don't know how to spend my time. Here's my calendar. You just plug in everywhere where you need me to be, and I'll just be there. Because otherwise, I'm just sitting staring at paint dry on the wall. It's not like that. No, everybody is presented with this buffet option of choices. What choices should I be making? So how... Do I fit serving in when all of these demands are pulling at me? And I want to suggest this morning that you need to take Jesus' words seriously when he said, count the cost. Everyone's busy, and yet 
there are people that find time to serve. Why? Because they plan it. They put it into their calendar. They say no to even sometimes good things so that they can say yes to the best thing, which is looking like Jesus. Let's think of another consideration. Serving can be lowly. And one misconception that I think comes along with serving is sometimes believers think that I should be only serving in the area of my spiritual giftedness. Now, you should serve in the area of your spiritual giftedness. You should learn what your spiritual gift is. But there's a lot of just acts of service that need to happen in churches and outside of churches, which don't have anything to do with spiritual giftedness. Let me just say this. There's no spiritual gift for stacking chairs. I've looked all over the scriptures. I've tried to find them in the lists of spiritual gift inventories. I've noticed that there's no spiritual gift for holding babies. It's just not in there. Now, some people enjoy doing it more than others, but it's kind of one of those lowly acts of service, even though those babies are beautiful, it's just not always fun to sit there and hear a baby cry and have a diaper explode upon you that every Christian should be willing to do. I wonder if Jesus were to walk in the church today, if he might not first go into the nursery and say, I'm willing to serve there. Why? Because he always had time for children. He was willing to do lowly things. That's why he tied the towel around his waist and he washed the feet of his disciples. Third, serving requires mindfulness. What is mindfulness? It's just being considerate. It's being thoughtful. It takes intentionality. It's actually taking a few minutes of getting off of my own personal mission, my own personal agenda, and lifting up my head and seeing what is going on around me. You look at the life of Jesus, and there are times where the masses are just pushing in on him, and he's vigorously heading in the next place where he needs to go on his messianic mission. In the midst of all of that chaos, you notice that Jesus takes time, pauses to meet the greatest need around him. Sometimes he pauses for children. One time he pauses for a bleeding woman. He pauses for blind people and people with severe infirmities. He pauses for outcasts. Now think about this. If Jesus could pause his mission, which is the most important mission of all time, you think you could pause your personal agenda sometimes to serve? I think we can. In fact, serving requires mindfulness because we're not going to see the opportunities to serve unless we're being thoughtful and considerate. Uh, I know he's going to kill me for telling you this story, but one of our members, Craig Campbell and I, we have done some travel together as we've served on boards. And one time while we were traveling to a board meeting, we were waiting for our flight in uh, the lobby space of the airport, the terminal space, 
And we engaged a woman who was sitting in a wheelchair, just talked to her, how are you doing? What's going on with your day? Tell us a little bit about yourself. And she just in passing in that conversation said, yeah, after this conversation at some point, I'm really hungry. I'm going to go over to Dunkin' Donuts and get myself some food. Now, I am dense in conversations. I hear that and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I'm just going to go about my day and move on and get on my plane and get to my destination. But Craig and I are later talking, and he stops in the middle of the conversation, and he says, you know what? I need to go ask that woman if I could buy food for her and get food for her. So he goes over. He asks her permission. He goes over to Dunkin' Donuts. He buys her, like, what is it, five bucks for a sandwich or whatever, brings it back over to her. And I just got on the plane that day and I said, you know what, Rob, you're a real jerk. (laughs) You just don't think about, you're not mindful like that. That's not servanthood. One last one. Serving can go unnoticed. Now, while everyone deserves to hear thank uh, thank you, let me just say it, you're not always going to hear thank you. It's just true. This morning I arrived to church and there weren't leaves in the weird nook and crannies that I never look at. How did that happen? I don't know. How did the coffee get out this morning? How did the seats get all arranged? How did a million things happen? Why aren't there babies crying right now in the service? I don't know. Someone did it. Someone's serving. They may or may not have heard thank you today. Jesus in his own ministry, he experienced this in Luke chapter 17. He heals 10 men with leprosy. You're talking about a terminal condition, the kind of condition that if that doesn't get cured, they're literally physically wasting away. With one word, Jesus cures them. Nine of the men walk away. Only one thinks to return to thank him. He marvels at it. He says, were there not 10 of you, you're not always going to hear thank you. But that doesn't mean that your acts of service don't go unnoticed. Because God always sees. And the scriptures say that it's better to have the reward from your Father in heaven than to hear it from someone else. I'm just going to be honest with you this morning. I care a lot more about God's affirmations than your affirmations. Though you guys can still say nice things all you want. So the question this morning before you is, are you serving? Are you lowering yourself? Are you giving? And are you doing it in meaningful ways? Are you keeping up with the house? Are you participating in the housekeeping? When you serve a home, you show ownership of that home. Some Christians treat the church like an Airbnb. Now, Katie and I, we, when we go on vacation, we rent our house, we put it up on Airbnb. And I'll tell you, we do not expect our renters to think of our home the same way we think of our home. Now, they generally treat it very well, though I, to this day, don't understand how people accumulate the amount of trash that some people accumulate. 
But I don't expect when I come home after renting my house out for someone who have spent hours painting the walls, sanding the floors, and putting fresh coats of uh, whatever they put on the floors, and all of that kind of stuff taking place around the house. I've got to say, I don't blame them, because if I went into an Airbnb, I'm not spending five bucks on the place other than just renting it. But we think of it differently. We think nothing of spending time and money and resources on our house. So the little TLC in our mind is building into our future so that we have a better place that we get to enjoy for years to come, a place that's presently providing nurture and safety and care for our children so that hopefully they're not 50-year-olds still living in home, but launching out of the house. And here is the real thing about all of this. You get a lot of pleasure as you put those time and energy and resources into your home. When you look at your home, you go around the place and you think, those cabinets, I did that. The decor concepts, that was my creative imagination. I built that shed back there. You take a lot of pleasure in that. Well, the same thing is true when you serve in the local church. You start looking at lives that you've touched because you've served, people you've impacted, the work of the ministry continuing onward. It benefits you now, you get a lot of pleasure in it, and you see God do things over and above and beyond anything you could ask, think, or imagine. So I wanna close our time with a testimonial video from a couple of our members talking about why they serve and the benefits they get from it. Matthew 24, 46. What a joy and blessing will come of the faithful servant when his master comes home to find him serving with excellence. I think this day and age there is a lot of things that are fighting against our youth right now and I think it's really important to be able to come alongside them, pray for them, show them that there is a better way and that's why I serve. I've done a lot of different things and one of the things that uh, I wanted to do is to become involved with the church, to get to know people, to have them know me and to see how I can help them in any way that I could. And that's why I volunteered. I, I usher, and I usher with the intent to try to help people, um, first, that they don't feel inconvenient or that they don't feel embarrassed about having to walk in late, that I can do it as professionally as possible and that with that, I can make their experience of worshiping the Lord uh, as best experience that they can have. Hi, I'm Sydney Caprio and I work in the nursery. If you would have asked me two years ago to work in the children's ministry, I would have said no because I didn't really like kids. <laughs> but, God has changed my heart in 
that spot in my life. And now all I like to do is really hang out with kids and take care of them and help their needs. I don't consider it an inconvenience. I consider it an honor to serve others. I find it really entertaining to be with little kids and if, even if it's just we're reading books or we're just talking to them or just helping them out, I find it really fun. It is not an inconvenience to me. The Lord's asked us to serve in ways that we can find that will help and bring these people to worship the Lord. And this is my way to, to be able to help people when they attend church to have the best experience that, that, that they can. I don't really consider it an inconvenience at all. I think that it actually is a really great thing that I am able to serve. I'm able to serve God. I'm able to serve my community. I'm able to serve my church. Um, you know, what's more important than our kids and our children? They are gonna be our future, so I don't find it an inconvenience at all. I think um, it's fun, and sometimes I have way more fun than the kids do. I think the benefits of serving is that I get to help out the little kids and play with them and have fun with them. And I get to help out their parents as well while they're up here listening to a sermon and I just get to have fun downstairs with the little kids and it makes me really happy. I work on the Prudential Committee. There are many benefits to serving others and a lot of people are in need that we can serve. And what better way to show God's love than to be in service of others, shining our light in the community so that the community sees Jesus through us. I think um, the benefits of serving are the fact that I have the privilege of being able to help guide some of our future leaders that are going to be coming out of this church. You know, we're all not getting any younger. And one day, the youth that's in this church right now is going to take over. And we need to make sure that we give them a solid foundation in Jesus Christ. And that's why I serve. And that is a huge benefit because we're not gonna live forever here but we are in eternity, so that's why I serve.